Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Well, the Charles Schwab Challenge is in the books. The official restart of the 2020 PGA Tour season. And congratulations to Daniel Berger, who won the tournament and the plaid jacket and that huge trophy in a playoff over Colin Morikawa, the brilliant young star, rising star on the PGA Tour. Great to see Daniel play so well. As he said in his post-press conference, he won a couple times early in his career, and he said he took it for granted, which can happen. It happens to just about everybody out there. You start coasting thinking you don't really have to work that hard, then all of a sudden it disappears, and you find yourself on the outside looking in. So good for Daniel. He's been working hard. One thing I didn't realize was how well Daniel Berger was playing when we had our shutdown on the PGA Tour back in March, and also how well Colin Morikawa was playing. So no surprise to see those two in the playoff. Colin Morikawa has now made 22 consecutive cuts uh, on the tour, and that that probably dates back to when he started on tour. So it's a lot of great golf from the young rising star, on this week's podcast, I had a chance to check in with the Charles Schwab Challenge Tournament Director, Michael Toth, and my tour caddy, Troy Martin, who was there that week caddying for Champions Tour player David Frost. So I called them Saturday just to check in to see how things were going, because as we've been saying over and over, it's a new normal. There were no fans, no concessions. So the tournament staff was working on so many different things and the players and caddies had to approach playing in a tournament completely differently than they're used to. So great to hear from those two as we head into this week on tour at Hilton Head at the RBC Heritage Classic. It's a jungle in here and we all know it. The fans are fired up and making sure they show it. People ask me all the time now, when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Srixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, and they put it in my locker, it was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight, and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams, and eventually I started playing it in the tournament. Whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. 
With this Frixon Z-Star Yellow Ball, I can curve it left to right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. All right, I'm so happy to be joined now by my good friend and my PGA Tour Champions Tour caddy, Troy Martin. Troy, you are back home in Omaha after caddying at the Charles Schwab Challenge for David Frost. I know it didn't go well for the week. You guys missed the cut, but tell us about uh, how it was getting back into the first tournament of the restart. It was uh, nice to get back. I I was, uh, I guess we've all been off for about three months, and I put on a little bit of weight, and uh, it was nice to get down to Fort Worth. <laughs> put, put on a little weight, day. you said? Oh, yeah. yeah. Is, um, I think they call it the COVID-19. That's I, I have the COVID-27, I think, is what I had. <laughs> but it was great to get down to Texas. Obviously, it was warm. The golf course was perfect, and it was just great to get back in the swing of things, and as you know, I'm mostly out on a Champions Tour, so it was also a lot of fun to, you know, be back out on the PGA Tour with the young guys. And uh, it turned out to be, you know, the, the golf wasn't what we'd hoped, but it was still a productive week, you know, just by getting back in the swing of things and playing and, and getting a feel for what we do for a living. Tell me about the registration process, the the testing for the coronavirus. Was that... Uh... Was that something you had to do back home and on site? Well, it was optional. The tour offered to send us a kit that was uh, an at-home kit where we would spit and fill a vial up with saliva. We did a Zoom call with a physician, and then we would FedEx that in, and they would test it. And a lot of people did that just because if you come back positive, then you wouldn't even leave. You wouldn't get on the plane to go to Colonial. So I did that. Those results did come back Sunday morning, and I was um, – negative and then when once you got on site we had to go to a location it was about 10 minutes away and that's where they did the nasal swab test which was not much fun and uh and every player and every caddy had to do that in order to gain access to any of the inside facilities on site so we went in monday morning we had that test done it took about three hours and uh, then you would get an email saying you were positive or negative and once you got the negative you would go in, show them that email. They would give you a wristband that allowed access to the golf course, to the caddy facilities, players' locker room, et cetera. And then uh, you were good to go for the week. But they took every precaution, and, uh, and I believe there was no positive test to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, isn't that great? I was, I'm home watching this, and I heard the, there were no positive tests, which is such a, a wonderful thing, a positive step forward for golf returning to normal and and i'm watching it on tv right now how was it without fans i I, it must have felt like a member guest it did or a a monday morning practice round or something like that it was really unusual and you know normally when you're in a tournament like this you'll hear roars from all over the golf course and the atmosphere is great and you know it's live and 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 it was really um it was kind of boring and kind of, you know, I mean, the players didn't know what to do when they'd make a long putt or I saw a hole in one and the guy didn't even know how to react. He's like, oh, that's cool. 
you know, but um, <laughs> it was it was definitely unlike any event I've ever been at, and uh, I believe they're going to have the next couple without it, so the players are, are probably getting used to it, but it's certainly a different feel and different vibe. I watched Justin Thomas make a birdie yesterday, or no, on 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 Friday. He made a birdie putt. He birdied one and two to start his second round, and he was waving to the crowd. He was obviously in a fan zone where he was thinking, okay, well, people would be cheering about it's right now. So. Yeah, it's a habit for these guys, I guess. We saw Justin Rosen talk with him briefly, and uh, David had said to him the same thing. He goes, hey, we saw you on the uh, – on TV earlier and you, you were, you know, saying thank you after making a birdie. And Justin said that, um, well, uh, Phil Mickelson's brother was clapping for me. So I was thanking him for, for clapping for me. <laughs> hey, who'd you guys get paired with the first two days? Um, two real, two young players that were surprisingly long and, and very frustrating for David because on the champions tour, I would say that David Frost is about an average length, um, player you know he still gets it out there far enough but he was pacing off uh how far ahead these kids were just, just writing notes down in his yardage book out, out during the second round and most of the time it was between 60 and 70 yards and uh you know there were times where david would hit a very good drive and these kids would hit a three iron and hit it 25 30 yards past his drive and uh you know the game has changed uh significantly colonial was is played much differently now well, you know uh, from Caddy, yeah, you know from Caddy and for me out there that on the Champions Tour that I know I've had just about every joint in my body replaced, and I I can't, I just can't generate the speed I used to when I played on the tour, and I think that pretty much goes across the board on Champions Tour, except for guys like well Mickelson who's turning fifty, and Couples has still got length, and Darren Clark is still has a length, so does Goosen, but those guys are would be considered youngsters out there. They would, and their length is nothing compared to what some of these guys are hitting now. Uh, you know, there's 460-yard par fours, and they're hitting sand wedges into them. And it's just, I don't know how you fix it or change whatever, but the kids are so strong and so athletic, and they swing so hard that even a guy like Mickelson, I don't think is really considered long out, anymore out there. But we did see him quite a bit. He he was hitting, he, he's, kind of going that route also. We saw him on the range a lot. He was probably practiced as much as anybody during the week, in fact, and I don't think I saw him hit a club other than a driver. He just kept swinging as hard as he could. They looked for the ball of the land, track man, swing as hard as he could, you know, just trying to gain speed, gain speed, because um, he knows where that's where his competition's doing. I've known Bryson DeChambeau since he was about eight or nine years old and watched him through college in his early years on tour, and now to watch him on TV and to see how strong and bulked up he is and to see the distance he's hitting it off the tee without losing much precision or much accuracy, that's a, that's a pretty impressive change. Yeah, I walked by him twice and didn't recognize him the first two times. He's changed significantly uh, in his appearance. And we heard him talking on the range, and I promise you he said this. He's trying – he would ideally like to get to 275 pounds. That's where he thinks would be his ideal weight for strength and flexibility to where he could, you know, benefit most from the physics of, of his body in the golf swing. We're doing 275 pounds. Oh, wow. So, that's... Imagine what he looks like now. I mean, he looks like a tight end out there. Now, 
he's probably that he's probably thirty pounds from that at least. You know, so you think about how much bigger he wants to get. <laughs> he said he worked well, out four times, four <laughs> times a day, and he ate like you know me basically, and uh, and that's that's what you get from it. It's a, it's just amazing to me to look at the kids today, and I I play in some outings and do some appearances with the young kids. The speed with which they sp- swing the golf club compared to what we're used to, our age group on the Champions Tour, it, it's shocking when you watch a guy swing as hard as Bryson does, or even Phil at 49 and, and yeah. almost turning 50. It just goes to show you that you do need the strength, and you do need the width, and you need the balance, but man, there's nothing like that swing speed. Yeah, I think you know the the generation before these these guys was more uh, based on accuracy, and you would find a level of how hard you could swing and still be accurate, right? I mean, I think you probably always played with a little, maybe you know, maybe an extra. You had an extra fifteen percent if you needed it or something. Well, nowadays these guys swing a hundred percent, and you know, and and if it goes in the fairway, great. If not, it just went 340 yards, so you're not that far from the green, and you can usually figure something out from where it ended up. Uh, but it's changed a lot. You know, seeing where these guys play from at Colonial, I've never seen guys play from those positions at Colonial. Well, so many years that I've played at Colonial, and like, for example, 18, I remember you could peel a driver on the right side, turn it left, and if you hit a good one, you might have a full wedge, more than likely a nine iron. And yeah. to see the golf course play so ridiculously short, and I know we all want to blame technology, but I give the players a lot of credit. These guys pump iron, they eat right, and they're just they're just taking care of themselves like no generation in game has ever taken care of themselves. For sure. When you walk up and down the range, and this is no offense to the guys on the PGA Tour champions, but you see what you you know picture golfers five ten five eleven guys you know gray hair nice slacks you know perfect swing nice and smooth and fluid and you go down the range on the PGA tour most of the guys are six three six four six five they got broad shoulders small waist huge arms and they're swinging out of their shoes and uh, yeah it's just it's just a different it's a different athlete that's playing right now I think and that's probably thankful mm-hmm. I guess Tiger Woods kind of made made golf really cool you know where some of the best athletes maybe didn't play golf because it wasn't so cool back then, but now it's a cool game. So the guy that might have otherwise been the star quarterback or the star football, baseball player or basketball, he went out for golf now. And so you're seeing some athletes like Brooks or Dustin Johnson or some of these guys that are just they're, they're just they're just big people. Yeah, Tiger definitely made the game cool, and now there's so much more of a focus on fitness. Versus someone like me, and you know me, when you're when we're caddying together, you have to knock the the Krispy Kreme donuts out of my mouth when I'm on the first fairway, <laughs> and 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 the bacon sandwiches at the turn. But I'm I promise you I'll be better next time we tee it up. I'll be better. My favorite thing is when you have ice cream at the end because you usually spill it on your shirt, and then I end up getting that shirt. So I do encourage you to have ice cream after the round. It helps me get some of those cool NetJet Lexus shirts that you wear. So now I, I know why you want me to have vanilla. So it doesn't it. stain that badly. I can get it out, yeah. <laughs> Troy, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, I will be in, we will be in touch. All right. Look forward to seeing you soon. You've been here before. You know what to do.
sports nut and if you're anything like me the first thing you do every morning is grab your phone and check to see what may have happened overnight in the world of sports but mondays are for golf once the weekend is over and the golf tournaments around the world are complete whether they're on the professional tours or in the amateur world i know i'll find what i need on global golf post it comes to my email every monday morning delivering everything I need to know as I dissect what happened over that weekend. It also offers insight and analysis from experienced writers and contributors who are as committed to the game as I am. And it's pretty easy to sign up. Just log on to globalgolfpost.com and you're done. And for even more great content, you can subscribe to Global Golf Post Plus, which takes a deeper dive into the world of golf, exploring the people, places, and things that makes this game we love so intoxicating. And with Global Golf Post Plus, there's no advertising. Use the promo code JAKESTAKES when you sign up to receive 30% off your monthly subscription to Global Golf Post Plus. So remember, globalgolfpost.com. It's everything you're going to need to know about this game of golf. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Hey, Michael, uh, uh, thanks for joining us again. Uh, Michael Toth, the tournament director of the Charles Schwab Challenge. Michael, the last we spoke on the podcast last week, you were, you were, I, I would say you were excitedly nervous about the tournament. How have things gone after three rounds? It's been great. I mean, I think once we kind of got everybody on property, everybody on property and tested, and more, more importantly, tested negative, I think. Uh, you know, I think we felt really good at that point. We, you know, we haven't had to worry about weather, which is, you know, check that box, which is always, you know, Mother Nature sometimes can throw a curveball. But leaderboard's amazing. I mean, look at some of these scores like Xander Shoffley, holy smoker, 65, 66, 66. You know, Justin Thomas never played us before, 64, 68, 66. Morikawa's never played us before. Harold Varner's played us once. So leaderboard's good. I think the guys are having a good time. They believe in the process we have in place. We just have to not let our guard down tomorrow and get it done, get these guys on a, a charter to Hilton Head on Monday and close the book on it and focus on 2021. Yeah, I talked to uh, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan a couple of days ago. He was there on site, and we were we were just talking about the players and and, and how how incredible the players are. They know... This is a new normal. They know that they have to be patient. They have to be able to understand all of the restrictions and protocols that we have to pay attention to. And he said that everybody has just been fantastic. And now, as you said, we look at this leaderboard, Shoffley at 13, Woodland, Justin Thomas, Brandon Grace, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth at 12. It's great to see on TV, weird without fans, I have to admit, but Does it look a little strange? It looks really strange, but it's okay. Because if yeah. you're really into golf like I am, 
you're looking at golf swings and looking at the reaction of the golf ball and the strokes and, and the swings and all that. So I think it's been great. You know, I've watched a little bit of the telecast. It looks good on TV. You're right. It's eerie. It's quiet out there. You know, typically you're navigating through 10,000, 15,000 fans, which obviously is not the case. I My joke in the office with all the staff and some of the committee is like, okay, let's not get soft. Let's not, this isn't, this isn't kind of how it should be. You know, let's not get rusty for next year. So it's a little different, and you're right. The guys just kind of, they were on eggshells. We're all on eggshells for, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then as, as sort of the week kept rolling, we, uh, you know, we, we sort of uh, believed in the process, and the tour did too. Jay was on the ground for a few days. You're right. A lot of PGA Tour execs were here and some other some other representatives from the other three events that are going to follow us were also on the ground. So it's been good. It's been good. It's a little eerie, a little quiet, but we're just so thankful that we had the opportunity to, to bring golf back to the viewers, and hopefully they're enjoying it on TV. Well, one of my greatest memories when I played the Charles Schwab Challenge was teeing off with champion's wall to the right and seeing Ben Hogan sitting there greeting all the players as they tee off. Obviously, this was years ago, but Ben Hogan won the tournament five times, and we always had a chance at the past champion's banquet to see him and say hi to him. But when you stood on the tee and hit a tee shot in front of Ben Hogan, that was intimidating, to say the least. Yeah, you know, when we started the round on on Friday, or sorry, Friday, on Thursday, uh, you know, J.J. Henry, who lives here in Fort Worth, he hit the first tee ball on 10, and then Ryan Palmer's a member at Colonial, he hit the first tee ball on, on 1. And it was, you know, in our own sort of little way, it was hair, stood up your arms a little bit, because that really just was a cool, cool gesture. I mean, Ryan, there's nobody who wants to be on that wall more than Ryan, and, you know, he didn't make the cut, and... You know, and J.J. just hasn't been able to play well here. And, you know, some of the other guys, too. Like, it, you know, it breaks my heart that Ricky Fowler, who has really been a good supporter of our event, just doesn't, you know, he's played well once here. And, you know, it hurts when Dustin Johnson misses the cut. You know, you want those marquee guys to be in the field of the weekend for, for a number of different reasons. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure when they played, I'm sure when you played the Byron Nelson, when you came off of 18 green at the Nelson. Oh. Yeah, you know, see Byron and Peggy there. I'm sure it's, it was the same thing. Now it was post round. You know, Mr. Hogan probably sitting on the first tee, like you said, was probably a little intimidating. <laughs> you know, when but you uh, up, when you yeah. when you walk up Muirfield Village and Memorial and Jack's there, and walk off at Bay Hill and Arnold's there, yeah, those are those are special moments and Colonial with its history. And I, I just uh, I, I give you all the credit in the world. I talked to a few players. They say that everything has gone smoothly. And I think it's a tip of the cap to you and your staff. And this will air Tuesday, so we will already know the winner. But I think the winner this week uh, will be some one player. But I think you, your staff, the PGA Tour, and all of Fort Worth and Colonial should be uh, complimented and thanked for a great job. Well, there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes. Charles Schwab's been fantastic. PGA Tour. You know, this is this is our, our you know, Rob Hood our, is is our chairman and outgoing, and Jim Lito, who's been on our tournament committee for a long time, uh, you know, played a real key leadership role. But I always I always tell people that my you know they always ask me what who who's my favorite champion, and that our next champion 
yeah. is my favorite yeah. champion. So I, I know um, you say it's me. Yeah. I, come on, yeah, be it's you. Yeah, eighty-four. Was it eighty-four? <laughs> it was. It, I was it born was. in seventy-one. I was born in seventy-one. <laughs> so um, you, where was I? I was were, in high school, I guess. No, you you were you were the kid stealing golf balls out of our bag. <laughs> when, 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 when well, you know, I grew up in. I grew up in. Um, I grew up just thirty minutes north of Oakville, Ontario. So oh. you know, going to the Canadian Open at Glen Abbey was always you know, special for me and getting to see those guys and autographs. I mean, I remember I had a stack of autographs, you, Norman, Davis Love when he was a rookie, Nicholas Palmer. And that was a time when you could kind of walk right up to a guy. I lost them all, but, um, the Canadian <laughs> open was, I know you played the Canadian open a bunch. Oh yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's good. We're having a good week. It's been, it's been fun and I'm ready to hand the keys to Steve Wilmot at Harbor Town. That's for sure. Well, listen, congratulations. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, I look forward to seeing you somewhere down the road. Well, if you're ever in DFW, come find us. There's a you, shadow box you with uh, your your picture and a club well, down there. Know, I, may, I'm, I may end up playing there one year. You may have to suffer through me. 75th anniversary next year, buddy. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh. Get ready. Ooh, you're planting that seed in, into yep. an old guy's head is a bad idea. I like it. We'd love to have you. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?